created live on Fireside. Welcome, I'm Laura Lee Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you so much for joining me live on Fireside Chat, where you can be a part of the conversation as my virtual audience. I'm your host, Lori Lee Binstock. Everyone has an opportunity to ask me or my guest questions, make comments just by requesting to hop on stage or sending a message in the chat box. My guest today is Karen Millen. Karen is a certified professional coach, the host of the Healing Podcast, and author of An Amazing Divorce. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. You know, we've, you know, we've connected through your podcast. um, And, you know, we even met in DC, and we met each other's family. And I really find you to be a friend. And I feel like you just have such a wealth of information, um, especially when it comes to divorce. I mean, you actually wrote a book, An Amazing Divorce, which was based on your own experiences. And I just wanted to you to share your story and why you decided to write the book. First of all, I'm in awe of you and your story (laughs) and your story of survival and what you're doing to demystify trauma and help others heal. So kudos to you. I feel the same way. I wish we spoke more often, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Um, We'll we'll make that work. (laughs) We will make that an objective. So, um, I got divorced in 2013. Um, It was after a 17-year marriage, which the last seven years were very, um, was the the time that we both sort of identified that things were not working and we were trying to make it work. And I did what I thought I should do for my family. I didn't think I was doing something extraordinary. Um, And it was... A few years after, when the results of everything that I was doing was so amazing that I started getting everyone who knew me saying, uh, you should write a book. I mean, this is crazy. You're hanging out with your ex-husband. Your <laughs> husband and your ex-husband are best friends. Your ex-husband is your child's godfather. You guys genuinely like each other. This is nuts. So I then moved to New York, had a career change, and I had time. And everyone who met me was saying the same thing. And then I had a lot of friends and family members who were getting divorced. And after seeing the aftermath of a high conflict divorce and how it was affecting their children and themselves, I thought, you know, if I write a book and I do something that can inspire one family, one person or 10 or a thousand, it'll be a happy camper. So that's what I did. That started my journey back in 2015 into coaching and becoming an author and starting the podcast. Did you ever feel any shame just by society's standards of divorce when you were thinking, I can't be in this any longer? Was there any anything that was holding you back from, from doing what you knew was would work for both of you and your family? You know what? It is quite interesting because I moved to New York City four years ago and from Canada. 
And shame never entered my mind. I never mm. felt it was something shameful, something bad. I something to be not proud of. If anything, when I got divorced, Lori Lee, every older woman that knew me was like, "You are so brave. You mm. are so strong." And I really believe it. I'm like, it is a lot easier to stay in an unhappy marriage, right? Right. Uh, than to take the leap and and fence for yourself and start a new life and and you know cut your wealth by half and cut your friendships by half and like. Yeah. So I never saw that. It's been now that I'm in the divorce movement the past I don't know three four years and seeing how religious. America is and how there is shame and how you know and I'm like oh that's interesting and I've been I've been asked this like what did you worry about what your friends would say or your family and I'm like no no I'm, I'm doing what's best for me best for my children this is actually for my children wow that's amazing because I feel I hear it so much with with um couples who have children, they're like, I, I'm so unhappy. I don't know what to do, but I can't leave them because of my children. And in so many ways, I feel like they're, they're seeing how tumultuous relationships are. And obviously that could trickle down. Right. Um, so a lot of research and I read a lot of books in writing my book has proven in multi- disciplinary research and like over a hundred different research studies that it is not divorce that ruins children is conflict Mm -hmm. during before during and after and Lori Lee now that I've been a coach for the past three to four years I help so many people heal from having been raised in a high conflict marriage from seeing their parents fight insult each other close doors it harms children. Conflict hurts children. Yes, absolutely. So it was that conflict that I lived on. It was constant fighting and slamming doors and yelling and threatening divorce that I didn't want my children to grow up with. I didn't want my kids to grow up in a loveless marriage where their parents are not touching each other, hugging each other, dancing together, kissing each other, Um I didn't want them to repeat my story of not being loved and seen and heard. And, and um, you know, it was interesting because I thought I did a good job because a lot of my fighting with my ex was over text, right? So we'd be beside <laughs> each other. I'm like, you're an asshole. Like, it's like, <laughs> I can't believe you said that. Like, And I thought I did it right. And my daughter's applying for college and her essay, college essays were like how devastating it was for her to hear us fighting and how her and her sister would start a game about who's going to scream first, who's going to slam the door first. Mm. And they were, um, they endured this till they were eight and six. So I divorced when they were eight and six. And actually, I can't raise my voice, Lori Lee. And my daughters start crying because of the PTSD of growing up with yelling and animosity. So I've been remarried and in a loving marriage for nine years where there's no arguing, no yelling, no fighting, only love. And my daughters see it and I hear, you know, I hear them tell their friends like, oh, my God, my mom's so happy that I'm so lucky. Like, so that's what I wanted. So yeah. no, there was no shame at all. This was, I had a clear vision 
this is what I wanted for my daughters. This is what I wanted for myself. And it is in the conflict that we hurt our children. I think that is amazing that you're able to know and do what's best for you and your family without other people's opinions weighing so heavily. Because I think that is, that's what kind of stops people from making the decision that they need to, to be happy. Because mm-hmm. You'll see it. I mean, even even though, like you were saying, you're just doing it over text. It's that energy that you mm-hmm. you give off. That that there's that feeling of heaviness that they probably felt when they were around you too. Mm-hmm. Um, what I thought was interesting about your story, you also and I met your your husband now. Just a wonderful guy, and your daughter just amazing. What thank you? Can you share how you actually met him? Because it wasn't long after the divorce, or did you meet him prior to the divorce? Yes, so that was a bit uh, tumultuous and unplanned. Um, <laughs> yes, I met him through work, and uh, my ex and I had been struggling for two years. Um, we had couples therapy, we were both unhappy. And I met him through work and I was actually trying to set him up with a colleague of mine who was divorced and single. And so I was questioning him and asking him all kinds of questions to set her up. I said, what do you do a Saturday morning? How do you spend your free time and money? What makes you happy? And everything he answered was what I had been waiting to hear my whole life. And mm-hmm. so in that process with my friend and his colleagues, because the people that worked with him, they were saying like, oh, I have never seen him yelled and everything, like the way he spends his free time, how he deals with conflict, what his dreams were, what he would do with $10 million. Like everything was what I wanted to hear. So I came home the very next day and I told my husband we were done. Mm. I said, I can't lie. I'm going to completely, I have never cheated or been disloyal a day in my life. I can't, even if I try. I lasted in corporate America, a big billion dollar company, like four years with a lot of struggle because I can't, you know, I can't fake it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I told him how it was. I'm like, I met this guy. You're not going to believe it. It's never happened before. Um, And he just showed me that there's someone out there for me that can make me happy and you're not happy. I'm not happy. And we're done. What was his reaction? Oh, heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. It was awful. Yeah. It was really hard. Uh, It was heartbreaking for me. Like, you, no one gets married to get divorced. No No one. I mean, I love my ex as a person, you know, as a family member. And I, it just killed me to break his heart. But he knew, he knew, and he he knew, and you know, it was very helpful because one of the things we did, and we can get into this, was healing. And when he started his healing journey, he knew I had told him for 17 years, for the past seven years, everything I needed, everything I was unhappy with, everything I needed him to heal, that he wasn't surprised. And we talked a lot about it, something that I talk in my book about creating a, a an amicable divorce is grieving. A lot of the times we go through painful events and we move on and we, okay, I got to get divorced. I got to get the lawyer. I got to get this. I got to figure out what I'm going to do with the house. I got to, you know, and then you start drinking and you start having fun and some people start dating right away and you don't give yourself time to heal. 
to, mm-hmm. to grieve, to cry, that it is sad to end the marriage. It is sad that dad is moving out. It is sad to break up. It is sad to lose friends. It is sad to lose your in-laws. Like it is sad. So we both spent a lot of time crying. I spent probably the first three to six months allowing myself to cry when I was moving out, when I was decluttering, going through all the pictures, through all the good memories. Like I really allowed my daughters to cry, especially my middle one or my second one is very stoic and I, I'm not going to cry. I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, yeah, we're going to talk about it. And I bought them books about divorce, like kids' books. Like one of them was How to, How to Dinosaurs Divorce. It's really cute. <laughs> and every time she said, I'm sad, it is sad, sweetie. It is really sad. And I kind of let her cry. And, and then we'd be like, but mommy and daddy love you. Mommy and daddy are going to be here for you. Mommy and daddy are going to work really hard to be able to spend time together with you. We're going to still have dinners together. We're going to go on vacation together. And we adore you. And that's what we created. I mean, my ex had keys to my house from the very start. And I told them we moved houses like blocks away from each other, like walking distance. And I'm like, you can come and get them anytime you want. We both walked into school together the first year or two. We he could come any day to take them out for ice cream. We had Wednesday nights dinner cookouts where they would cook for me. And to this day, nine years after, we just went to Punta Cana for a vacation together with my ex. And mm-hmm. my ex and my husband are good friends. Like, like genuinely, they go out together without me. Did it take take a while? I mean, I love that. But did it did it take a while to get to that point? Was there any resentment on his part? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it took it took about seven months for my ex to meet uh, my new husband. Um, I told him about him. I told him all the special things and why we were meant to be. Uh, and he saw it. You know, he saw it. He met him. Of course, the first few times was a little tense. The mm-hmm. first time that my current husband or boyfriend at the time knew that I was coming over to my ex's house for a cookout. He's like, what? What are you doing? Because he was divorced too, right? And, you know, that hanging out with your ex was... Oh, I had I had a, a vacation property with my ex. And I told my new boyfriend, I'm like, I'm going, I'm spending the weekend with my ex and my kids. And he's like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and the mm-hmm. first time he sort of expressed some kind of... I said, listen, he's the father of my kids. It is completely important to me for him to be active in their lives to be present in their lives part of my divorce was my own trauma with my father and I knew the importance that that father's playing a girl's lives Mm -hmm. so I wanted him to be active and I said listen I'm with you by choice I left him and I'm with you because I want to be and you need to trust me Mm -hmm. and if you don't trust me this is not going to work I, I, so yes, I'm going to go to his house. We're going to go cook out on Wednesdays and we're going to spend time together and you need to be okay with this. So he had to get on board. And my ex, when he met my new guy, like he, you know, it took a few times. I can't say that it was like, Hey buddy, (laughs) but it took a few times and slowly, but surely, uh, you know, they became friends. We have a really funny story that my ex was single. And so my current 
boyfriend at the time, you know, he's like, oh, you know, you guys have to help me go to a bar and pick up. And so they went out partying and sent me pictures at 3 a.m. in the morning, dancing (laughs) up some girls. And then my current boyfriend at the time, his phone died. And so for a minute, I'm like, (laughs) maybe this was a farce and he just killed them and chopped them up. (laughs) My ex is Italian. So I'm like, I know he's in there. (laughs) But he appeared. Uh, so that was the uh, first and last I'm like that's not gonna happen again <laughs> but um you know it, it, and it did take a lot of healing a lot of therapy a lot of you know coaching and you know it can't it can't say it was a, a bed of roses the whole time but when you're really focused on what you want most versus what you want now mm-hmm. you always know what to do yeah, I, I'm just thinking how, like, for other couples who are who were in the process that you were in the middle or about to get a divorce, did you have a plan in place? How did you create this amicable breakup? Uh, no, I didn't have a plan. I had a vision. You know, I think I was blessed. I think the first few chapters of my book is about having clarity and vision. I went to business school. I had a background in business. So I think that really helped me because everything in business is like, what's your vision? What What's your objectives? And that's what guides you. Mm-hmm. So I had that kind of guiding light. And I focused on healing. You know, I focused on grieving and crying whenever I needed to cry and, and kind of being a mourning period of six to eight months of, you know, this is sad. And then I started EMDR therapy within two weeks of kind of pulling the plug mm-hmm. twice a week for six to eight months to a year, um, you know, at different frequencies to be really focused on me. Because when you focus on your ex and what he did or didn't do, or what addiction he had or how he treated you, which is obviously there's always a lot of reasons to break up. Mm-hmm. You stay in that area of conflict and anger, but when you focus on you, like what did you allow? Why did you put up with the situation you put up with? Why were you? Why did you allow him not to hear you, and 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 hear you and see you and and honor you or respect you or you know and heal those childhood traumas? Mm-hmm. Then then you take agency and responsibility. So instead of like, he did this to me, I can't believe he didn't hear me and I told him not to do this and he did it and I warned him. You know, why did I allow that? Mm-hmm. It really, it, it, I mean, you get off that planning mode. A lot of people get divorced and what they do is call their lawyer right away. And I didn't. I just focused on healing and being there for me and my kids. I, you know, was very lucky to be able to reduce my work hours and and be able to pick up my kids at lunchtime and like be with them. Um, And through that healing journey, not only it refocused me on what's, what did I allow? What did I do? What, what do I want to ever repeat again? Um, And heal that broken girl that got me to enter that marriage and stay for 17 years. I mean, Part of my healing is like, how can I live like this for 17 years? Um, Then it also brings a lot of compassion to your partner. So whatever issues they have, because you're leaving them for issues, right? There's some sort of issue, addiction, you know, anger, whatever. 
you also stop seeing them with hatred. And, you know, a lot of the work I do with my my clients is not like, well, he's an asshole. I'm like, okay, why is he an asshole? Because mm-hmm. he did this and he did that and he spent all the money or he drank all of this or he, why is he not an asshole? And so then you focus on the positive and you also see them as broken, like yeah. you are as someone who's hurting, someone who didn't have the coping skills, overeating and overspending and oversexting or over having an affair. Like it is a a byproduct of their hurt. And now it's awesome you left them and it's awesome you're putting boundaries and it's awesome you're not codependent and enabling whatever you left. But at the same time, when you take away this, he's an asshole mentality that, creates negative emotions and anger that makes you call the lawyer and send that nasty text and live in anger to a more peaceful divorce. Wow. I, I love that you talked about your childhood traumas and, you know, healing, healing, healing. I'm hearing that a lot, you know, and this is a trauma thriving podcast. Um, how did your traumas play a role in who you married and, and also in achieving this amazing divorce that you, you created? Yes. So you talk a lot about big T trauma in your podcast, which is amazing. It's just, mm-hmm. I salute you and <laughs> just all the power yeah. to you. Um, and a lot of people hear that big T trauma or they think trauma is just the big T trauma, you know, the, right. uh, sexual abuse, physical violence, accidents, war, losing a parent death. And they think, oh, well, I don't have any trauma. I'm that didn't happen to me, but mm-hmm. no one escaped childhood without forming some sort of negative beliefs, limiting beliefs, negative thoughts. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot, sadly. You know, living with my trauma was I lived with my father was sick. He ate pork and had epilepsies and he worked and he was drugged most of my childhood to the point that he I'd he doesn't remember my childhood and I don't have any positive loving memories with my dad. He just came home from work and went to sleep. And so I was very neglected emotionally by my dad and my mother overworked because the poor woman had to live with the fear of losing her husband and having to provide. So she was actually a psychologist and a professor at a college. And so she overworked till 7.38, came home, marking exams, working on weekend, marking exams. So I was emotionally neglected. And with that, the negative beliefs I had was I don't have a voice. I am not important. I am not a priority. I am not considered. I had an older brother who uh, bullied me my whole childhood, hit me, took my food. I just did whatever he wanted. And that also left a lot of negative beliefs. I remember calling my mother often, mom, he took my food, he hit me, he did. That's your issue, figure it out. What were you doing? And so I then had this, despite doing well in school and and achieving professionally, I had this subconscious belief that I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. So I married someone who was awesome on the books tall and handsome and well-educated and great family, great. I knew he was going to be a great dad, a good person, which helps in us being friends right now. But someone who didn't hear me, someone like my dad loved me innately, but 
didn't hear me, didn't prioritize me. I could tell him really clearly, I don't want to go here. And that's where we went. I don't want you to buy this art. And this is what he bought. I don't want you to do this. And that's what he did. And for 17 years, I had no voice. I literally spoke to the wall and nothing happened. And I put up with it. Um, he slept in separate bedrooms for seven years because he'd rather sleep with the light on and the TV on than to sleep with me. And that was okay. I, I, you know, I, you need to sleep with your husband for oxytocin and dopamine, cuddling. And mm-hmm. so um, we had very different love languages. And I told him, I said, I don't need any gifts. I need hugs. I need this. And he just like, like if I spoke to the wall. Mm-hmm. So I felt very I felt like I did my whole childhood, right? And so what happens is that when you're not aware, when as a coach, I really work on you increasing awareness of all of your triggers and all of your childhood traumas. So you're aware of them and you try to start healing them with me or with a coach or most often, depending on the level of complexity and how often you kind of innated this negative belief, with EMDR, somatic experiencing, yoga, you know, we talked about psychedelics, IFS, um, but I wasn't aware of those. So what happens is that you enter a marriage with your own negative beliefs, you put up with it because it's familiar with you, it's that what right. you know. So if mm-hmm. you're, you saw your dad hitting your mom and you get hit, it's like, okay, this sucks, but <laughs> this is normal, right? right. Mm-hmm. So what then happens is that instead of knowing like, oh, okay, this is not okay. I am worthy. I am a priority. I'm not five anymore. I'm not eight anymore. I'm not six anymore. I am a grown ass 40 year old woman, president of this company. I deserve to be heard. Right. Right. I deserve to have a choice. I deserve to have a voice. And you heal that. Then you can communicate to your partner in different ways. So when I was married, to my first marriage, instead of being like, this is what I need. I am worthy. Either you come to my level and give me what I need or I'm done. I would start complaining because you're unhappy, right? Like you're with someone that hits you. You're unhappy. You're with someone who doesn't hear you. You're unhappy. Mm-hmm. You start complaining and criticizing, right? You never come home on time. You leave this here. You never, you're never grateful. you never do this. You, you, you don't listen to me. You don't, and they hear it as criticism and whining, and they don't do anything about it. Criticism doesn't work. Criticism is one of the first beginnings of the ending of your marriage. So when you do the work and you heal and you do EMDR and you heal that broken middle child, then you, in my second marriage, I stepped in after all that EMDR, knowing what I needed, knowing that I was worth it that I was worthy. So instead of whining and complaining and criticizing, I'm like, this is what I need. I know you have an important job. I know you save lives, but I don't want to be a single wife. I don't want to be a single mother. I didn't move to another country and left everything I was comfortable with to be here alone. So I need you to be home twice a week for dinner. I need you to do your child's homework. I need, right? So it's not like you don't do this, you don't do that. It's like, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. and I continue to do a lot of work and my one of the things I loved about my new husband in meeting him the first time was that he said he went to therapy I'm like god damn where do I sign up <laughs> <laughs> most men don't want to go to therapy I spent 17 years asking my ex-husband to go to therapy and he never right. did so 
I'm like, so me and my current husband do a lot of work. So I'm really keenly aware of his triggers, his childhood traumas. So I'm very loving and careful in navigating them. So we don't step on, you know, a di- uh, you know, a, on what do you call it? A, a minefield. Mm-hmm. And he's very aware of my traumas. And when I get triggered, which I do, like I had a lot of, um, neglect issues so when he starts playing with our daughter that you met for over an hour or he's not listening to me or he's on his phone working in front of me i get triggered right away i get that image of this eight-year-old whose mom worked all the time and was always on in the computer and i instead of whining and saying and fighting and yelling i'd be like sweetie i'm getting triggered right now like i'm and he stops right or he or we come to a plan. He's like, you know, if you have to work or answer your phone, can you go to the room? Not mm-hmm. right in front of me, not in the kitchen beside me, because I still get triggered. Right. You come up with a plan. Right. I like that. And we speak about our struggles with that lens of trauma. So yeah, trauma got me into my first marriage and healing that trauma has had an amazing, I think I'm going to write another book about an amazing marriage. Uh, I love it. Because <laughs> you are keenly aware of your, uh, you know, your traumas and your triggers so that you don't fight and argue, but you work lovingly around each other. Yeah. And that on its own heals you because it's having a secure attachment where you feel safe with your partner and safe enough to be like, you know what? This reminds me of my mom working all the time and not having time for me right in front of my face. Yeah. Wow. Well, it, it or is. Or that my dad never played with me ever, saw any of my supple games or played Barbies with me or played ball with me. So for me to see him play with my daughter for two hours in the floor, Barbies, I'm like, <laughs> it triggers me, right? It makes me happy for her. But so he's very gentle to then come and hug me and spend time with me. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, my husband and I, prior to me getting treatment in 2020, mm-hmm. I, and, and I was telling my therapist this last week because there were behaviors uh, that I engaged in and, and beliefs that I indulged in. Like I, I didn't trust him. It's like I I knew innately I could trust my husband. He was, he's an amazing husband, Mm -hmm. but when I would get triggered and I didn't even realize it, I would start accusing him of things like accusing him of not wanting to be with me, accusing him of, of wanting to leave me and not saying so. And you know, he would always say, where are you getting this information from? Like, I Mm -hmm. never have I said this at all. And I believed it to my core. Like, Mm -hmm. looking back now, I'm like, how did I even believe any of the things that I said? And, and, you know, and it, it goes back to healing and transforming and, you know, realizing where did those belief, where did that programming come from? And I realize it's because I always felt so unworthy within my family. I mm-hmm. felt, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you know, even though he was not that person, he's like the complete opposite of my family. Um, I created that in my mind because that was what I knew. And it took right. so long. I mean, that was 20, that was, 
I mean, we've been together or we've been, I don't even know how long we've been together since 2014, and it just took until 2020 for me to realize like, oh, all of these things I believe about him or I accuse him of when only when I'm triggered is mm-hmm. completely this false narrative that I've created in my head. And, and it's not, terrifying. I mean, it's not false. Like a lot of the work I do when I set my clients to attachment therapists is that we have attachment, you know, we have like attachment, attachment issues mm-hmm. since birth. So sometimes we had a great mom and, you know, loving and, and, and present, but if as a baby, we did not get our needs served. So if we were crying or our diaper was dirty and we were led to cry and not picked up right away, or if we heard a dog barking and started crying and we were left in the stroller, you grow up feeling like you can't trust the world, right. that you yeah. can't trust relationships, that you can't get what you need from relationships. Or if you have an insecure attachment where you were a child and you scrape your knee and you came to your mom and one time she's like, okay, baby, come here. Here's a Band-Aid. Let me kiss it better. <laughs> and next time she's in a bad mood and she's like, well, that's okay. Stop crying. Deal. You know, you're on your own. Like, yeah, stop being a baby. If you don't have consistent care, consistent reactions, you grew up being securely attached. So you enter mm-hmm. a relationship already with that standpoint of yeah. not trusting the person, not trusting that your needs are going to be met because your needs were never met as a child. Right. So that's also very difficult when you start a relationship that way or you don't, you know, and you meet those persons. I meet mothers who, you know, friends that start from the standpoint, I don't trust people. I don't trust, like, you got to work really hard to get my trust versus people who are securely attached, where I met you and I trust you and I like you. And unless you prove me wrong after, you know, (laughs) and so that, that, that's also trauma. And it's the hardest trauma to diagnose because sometimes you don't know it. And that's when hypnosis and psychedelics really come to play. I mean, I had a client, Lorelei, who was getting divorced and felt this really keen sense of I'm not worthy. I'm not pretty mm-hmm. enough. I'm not, I'm not lovable enough. I'm not worthy. And, and we worked really hard. Like, when have you felt this before? Nothing. Great mother, great father, siblings, grew up in Florida, you know, nice home. And uh, after a lot of work, we recommended hypnosis and she went to hypnosis and it came out that her mother had postnatal depression and didn't want her mm. for the first three years of her life. Yeah. And would let her there to cry. And her husband and her were yelling at each other. The husband wanted to leave her because he was so turned off that this wife didn't want her baby. Um, and then she, the mom was treated and she became an amazing mom. And, um, uh, yeah, and she had no idea. And she went and asked her father first. He's like, Dad, is it true my mother didn't want me? And she's like, yeah, we've never thought to tell you because we thought you would never young. remember. Three right. And that got ingrained in her psychic. I'm not yeah. worthy. My mother didn't want me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the hardest trauma to, you know, it's, to overcome. is that nonverbal yeah. stage trauma. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I also had a client who wanted to start a podcast and she's just afraid to have a voice. And where does it come from? We couldn't like pinpoint a timeline, memory, anything. And she also did hypnosis. And when she was two, she woke up her dad who was hungover 
and needed to sleep and the father freaked out on the two-year-old and screamed at her and told her to shut the fuck up and like hit her and she mm. was traumatized for life like all of a sudden very quiet very shy like never sang again like so that's also trauma and really hard trauma to even diagnose and heal because you don't remember it but right. our bodies remember it our memories are psychic yeah, so I that's know. what comes into marriage and what we need to heal to have another kick at the can. I know it's, it's so hard, right? I, I, I love that you talk about hypnosis and that's some, one thing that I definitely want to cover on the podcast, um, you know, eventually and talk about hypnosis because I know that for you, it's worked so well, right? How, that, that was that and EMDR mm. have been, you know, yeah, vital so in your recovery. I, I did a ton, like three years worth of EMDR. Um, and then I did hypnosis last year or two years. I did three sessions and, oh my God, way stronger and quicker, but very difficult to, you know, I loved our discussion on, on my podcast on how, you know, uh, the different psilocybin kind of calm you down and help you see things with different perspective. When I mm -hmm. did hypnosis, it brought me back to, scenes of my brother hitting me and, and being mean to me and oh my god I was full of anger to the point and this was like a year ago and my kids had not even seen me angry or my new husband and I was like I'm full of anger like all I want to do is call my brother now and tell him he was an effing asshole you know what I mean like and I I was full I had to book a session like within three days because I was really um re-traumatized and yeah. triggered. So the wound I, is open. When yeah, when dealing with clients, I always say, okay, EMDR number one, like in terms of like risk tolerance and <laughs> hypnosis, and then you know, ayahuasca or you know, if they're real adventurers and risk takers and like because it's it's can be heavy, can be definitely heavy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 that subconscious mind reaching back into your subconscious mind that you can't really access. You know, when you don't do hypnosis, you know, you know, I, I obviously talk about psychedelics a lot. I spoke about it a lot, you know, but I think, and I, and I've actually had a, um, a dream guide also talk about mm -hmm. healing through the subconscious mind. And, and I think that there's so much there because like you said, there are things that have happened when, you know, you know, that we'll, we won't remember unless we try and we actively work to access them. And then you realize that these are the things that kind of control you or they have, they have some hold on you and how mm -hmm. you treat others and your relationships you seek. Um, and I think that is very important to like really think about. And, and, you know, I highly re recommend any type of subcon subconscious healing because there's stuff there, that, especially if it's trauma, you want to most of the time, especially if you're a child, you suppress it as much as you can because, God, exactly. if you were to let it out, you just, yeah. how are you going to handle mean, it? If you talked about it. it. We are experts at repression, like experts. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. I don't know if we, you know, why women would give birth again if we remembered <laughs> how <laughs> terrible it was. Oh, I know. I know. It's like, yeah, no, we're experts at repression. So, yeah, anything that, that we are still feeling blocked or stuck, we got to heal at a deeper levels and hit the subconscious for sure.
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think for couples who are together to kind of explore that, right? Like, you know, if, if, if you're having issues in your marriage and you're trying thinking about seeking divorce, I think being able to figure out how you can heal what what what's happening, what is it triggering, what's stirring up inside of you, um, if you do want to work through it. But and I love that you. Said I mean, this I earlier. I always tell I help a lot of my clients who are people trying to improve their marriages and save their marriages and the work. I say, listen, this is so valuable because whether it works out with you and your husband or your wife. Mm-hmm. What matters is that you're healing, you're growing for your next relationship because this mm-hmm. will come up. What we what we don't heal repeats. You know what we resist repeats. Right. And there's a seventy percent divorce rate on the second marriages. So because it will come out, it'll be a different person, a different face, a different color, same issues. So yep. let's heal them to see if we can save your marriage. Um, and. Uh, and if not, this is going to save you. And that's yeah. what matters. Right. right. You know, we f- I feel like we're just in this society. I think now it's evolving, but, you know, at least growing up for me, it was very much like you, you did things for others. And now we're all, we're all of a sudden learning that if we do stuff for ourselves, if we take care of ourselves, if we heal ourselves, then everything that we want in relationships will trickle out. It'll radiate. It's like this energy and that mm-hmm. will attract, you know, what you're really looking for versus trying to force something that's just, you know, it, it's not meant to be. It's, it's you're, you're, mm-hmm. you need to just heal yourself and work on yourself, love yourself. So you're not just seeking out people to love you. Um, I feel like that's, exactly. that's what I've learned so much of. Um, is there anything that you would like to add? I know you are just a wealth of information for so many things, but I'd love for you to kind of talk about, is there anything that you think is important for um, others to know? Yes. I, you know, when we were promoting the episode, you talked about the, you know, the things to do to have an amicable divorce. And so mm-hmm. love to go through that list uh, yes, for anyone please. listening that, you know, wants to take note. Uh, so for, to start, have a vision, have clarity, have goals. Like, what do you want most versus what do you want now? You know, how do you envision your life? What do you want? You know, if we speak in three years, and that's one of the first things I have in a coaching session, it's like, if I call you three years from now, what do you want to tell me when you're living your best life, a life of integrity of your values? To grieve. I mean, I have clients now that, uh, never grieved their divorce. So six years later, they're crying, you know. Mm-hmm. So grieve because that the more you cry, the, the lighter you are, the better you are, the faster you're going to move on. Um, so take time to grieve. Um, number three, heal. Heal, start your healing journey with a coach, with a therapist, with reading books, you know, doing the work with Nicola Pera is amazing. Uh, you know, the body keeps the score, uh, mm. what happened to you. There's a wealth of information. I would subscribe to Lori Lee's podcast, to oh. my healing podcast, to anything healing, to Oprah's podcast, and just start your healing journey. Start creating awareness of what did we allow? Why Why did we put up with this? When was the last time we felt this hopeless before, or this unheard, or this betrayed, or this 
when have we felt that before and start there um you know for have spiritual values of any kind despite of your faith like believe that there's something bigger out there for us that you didn't come to this world to fight and get spent three years with lawyers and spend your life fighting with an ex that there's greater that there's something that you came here to learn and to deal with grace um, you know, for me, it was reading Deepa Chopra and uh, Gary Suvak gave me a lot of perspective in dealing with the day-to-day pains of divorce and go with the flow, be grateful, give. The more you give, the more you receive. Um, you know, another big thing that people underestimate is the importance of sleep and eating properly. You know, food has a very important role in depression and how we feel and how the day goes so when you're in the thick and you know of divorce and lawyers and the sadness eat properly you know eat lots of fruits and vegetables and protein minimize sugar and white products um sleep is also crucial have coping skills that are not just alcohol and Mm, anything else it's like yoga journaling walking exercise is crucial to help you through this time. And one of the biggest advice that I I did with my ex and it really helped with our amicable divorce, but then I read it in a book and I'm like, oh my God, it's radical acceptance. Yes. If you did not change your ex-husband or ex-wife for 17 years or 10 years or five years, you are not going to change them. So nope. stop giving them an epiphany, stop trying to get them to change, Stop sending them texts or emails about what they need to do and how they need to change. You're not going to change them. <laughs> Just accept that they're going to feed your kids crap when they're with them or that there's not <laughs> going to be any routines or that they're going to swear or that like whatever you wanted to change is not going to change. So radically focus on the fact that you're no longer with them of what you want, of what your vision is and stop trying to change them because that creates a lot of fight and, you know, in and then stop giving them power. Stop talking about them. Stop telling your friends, of, you know what happened today? You know what he did today? Like, the more you talk about them, the more you give them power. The more you let them, you know, be psychologically engaged with them. When you're going through that really hard time of, you know, trying to get divorced and what's going to happen. Like, try to psychologically disengage with them. And that's sometimes why people keep it fighting is that they like being psychologically attached to their ex Mm -hmm. you're not going to change them and just live your life and deal with them as you can yeah and for what's matter you know what's important for logistics be brief be informative be neutral um when when you're going through that high conflict time so yeah that's sort of in a nutshell what was really helpful wow amazing and i think that you know, just, you know, just whatever you can control and just do that. Just whatever is in your control and not to control others. It's like you said that that's, I think, a big deal, like radical acceptance and really understanding that I can only deal with what I can control and and everything just needs to be able to let go or accept. Yeah. And that's what I loved about the spiritual diet. Like, go with the flow. Like, push what you need to happen. You know, I have a client whose uh, husband wants their kid to go to a different institution. And, you know, just go with the flow. Try mm-hmm. 
for what you need. And if there's a lot of resistance, if there's a, just, just let it go. Mm, It will be what it will be. And that child needs two happy parents, love, support, not fighting, not more legal bills, no more animosity, a drop off and pick up. They need to be loved and they need to be in an environment of harmony. And that's what's going to avoid them from really, you know, experiencing trauma during the divorce is love and harmony. I love it. And that's what we want most. Yes. Thank you. Karen, thank you so much. I absolutely loved having you on and having this discussion. It was a long time overdue, and I'm glad we finally got to nail it down for my final episode for season three. So I'm so grateful. Awesome. Everything in life happens for a reason, and there's always, you know, good things take time. So this was our time. And thank you for having me. It's, you know, I'm truly in awe of you. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do. Uh, That was Karen Millen, certified professional coach and a podcast host for The Healing Podcast and the author of An Amazing Divorce. To learn more about Karen, you can just go ahead and click on that that fortune cookie right there. That'll take you straight to her website. Or you could just head over to a tstpodcast.com. That's a letter A, tstpodcast.com. June's issue of Authentic Insider is out today, which you can also find at my website. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider magazine in your inbox monthly. This is the final episode of season three. Catch season four when we are back live on Fireside Chat in September. Have a safe and healthy summer. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast on Fireside. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. Take care. <laughs>